Um, so Mark chapter 7, uh, where we find ourselves here, just to kind of give a little background, just remind us of where we are. We've been in Mark for a while, but basically what we've seen in Mark is this. Jesus has come, and he's been going through villages uh, of Galilee, and he's been casting out demons. He's been healing the sick. He's been doing miraculous things, and all of these things, Mark is saying, point to something significant about who Jesus is. He's saying Jesus is, is God in the flesh, that Jesus has full authority of God in humanly form. Last week, or a few weeks ago, we saw him feed around 25,000 people with just a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. And then last week, we saw him walk on water, literally walk on water. He keeps doing all these things that are seemingly impossible, pointing to a power at work in him that is beyond our human understanding. He's God in the flesh. At the end of chapter six, they've come across the sea, Jesus has walked on the water, and a crowd has gathered around him once again, and once again, he's just doing what he does. He's healing sick people, he's casting out demons. But we're gonna see a new character today. We've, we've seen the Pharisees and the scribes or teachers of the law once before. Today, we're gonna read about those characters again. I'll probably just refer to them as religious leaders through most of this sermon. Um, these religious leaders, though, today are gonna come from Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem was the epicenter of Jewish culture. Politically and religiously, Jerusalem was the epicenter. It, 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 was the, it was the place, the authority. And so today, it's almost as if the local religious leaders are not knowing what to do with Jesus, and so they've sent to Jerusalem for the big guns to come in and help them out. So that's where we're gonna start at the beginning of chapter seven. Let's read. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The, now the Pharisees, this is just an ex explanation from Mark. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? So picture this, what's going on here. Jesus is in a crowd of people and these religious leaders from Jerusalem come snaking their way through the crowd and they surround Jesus and his followers. And it looks as though just asking an innocent question, but let's not be fooled. What's happening here is these religious leaders are making an accusation against Jesus. They're looking for something to accuse him of. They surround him, and immediately they see it. They see his closest followers, his disciples, eating with hands that are unclean. And they're going to make an accusation against Jesus. But what we have to understand here is that there are many, a multitude of traditions that these religious leaders followed, and they held them to be of the utmost of importance. In these traditions, there were traditions about cleanliness and washing and ceremonial washings. And so anytime you had to eat, you had to go through this ceremonial ritual of washing your hands. And if you didn't, you were unclean. Now, this is not referring to like dirt on your hands. You know, we do this. I mean, we, we wash our hands with antibacterial soap before we eat because we don't want to get germs and we don't want our hands to be dirty. But that's not what they're talking about. The unclean that they're talking about is a state of heart. It is your condition before God. And what they believed is that if they ate without washing their hands, then their position before God was ruined. They were defiled before God, that there was something wrong with their heart before God. 
And so their accusation is this. They say, look, Jesus, we know what people are saying about you. They're saying that you have authority from God, and yet here it is. I mean, here's your followers. They're not even following the traditions. They are unclean before God. Their accusation is this. Jesus, you clearly don't know the traditions. You clearly don't know how we're supposed to live. Jesus, you are an imposter. You are a phony. You're a poser. You're not who everyone says you are. That's their accusation, and they're making it in front of all these crowds. And so Jesus is left to respond, and I love what he does. He responds. Look in verse, uh, verse 5, verse 6, excuse me. So Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So Jesus looks at them and he knows these men, they would have been familiar with who Isaiah was. They would have known Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. They would probably known the full book of Isaiah frontward and backward. They would have had it memorized. And Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, you guys know Isaiah? Isaiah was right when he prophesied. And guess what? He was prophesying about you. You are the hypocrites. I mean, Jesus completely turned the table. They said, Jesus, you're a phony, you're a poser. And he says, nope, nope, you guys are the posers. You guys are the hypocrites. You guys are the phonies. Because on the outside with your lips, it looks like you're honoring God. And Jesus starts here making this clear distinction between an external appearance and an inward condition. And this is the theme we're gonna see throughout the rest of this text. An external appearance versus an inward condition. He says, with your lips and all of your traditions, you look like you're honoring God, but your hearts could not be more far away from God. The word picture here with this idea of hearts being far from God is this picture of somebody holding something out from themselves as far as they possibly can. The image that I had in my mind was when um, my first son was first born and I had never changed a poopy diaper in my life. And he's born, and I can, if you've never changed a newborn diaper, then you, you're not gonna get it. But man, a newborn diaper, oh, it's awful. I mean, it's just a mess. And like, I remember changing him and folding up the diaper just with one hand, like holding it out as far away from myself as I can until I could get it into the trash can. That's the picture that Jesus is giving. Look, on the outside, you look like you're honoring God, but your hearts are held out about as far from God as they could possibly be big difference in your external appearance and your inward condition. And then he starts saying, look, your traditions, he's going to start distinguishing between their traditions and the actual ways of God, the actual commands of God. He's saying on the inside, on the outside, you're following traditions, but on the inside, your hearts are far from the ways of God. And what he's going to do next in his response to them is give an example of where he sees this happening. Now, this is one of the cultural parts that is going to be kind of weird. We're not going to fully understand it. So we're going to read it. I'm going to give you a little bit of information to help you make sense, but then I'm going to tell you why Jesus says this. But look, uh, and starting in verse 9 again, Jesus says, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is Corbin, 
that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. Now, let's not get caught up on this whole Corbin thing. Here's basically what that meant. Remember, God is, I mean, Jesus is comparing the traditions of man and the ways of God. And he says, listen, the ways of God, the command of God is this, honor your father and mother. Now, in that culture, in that time, that meant when your father and mother get old, there were no IRAs, <laughs> there were no 401ks, there were no retirement plans. When your parents got old, you had to take care of them. So Jesus says, the command of God is this, honor your father and mother, make sure you take care of them when they can't take care of themselves. But the traditions of men, they had this totally unrelated tradition that said something like this. A person could say, hey, everything that I have, I'm gonna say that it is devoted as a gift to God. It is Corbin, it's God's. And when you made that pledge, what it meant was you could not give any of your belongings to anyone else. You couldn't give them to your parents. You couldn't give them to the poor. You couldn't give them to anybody. All of my things are devoted to God. And on the outside, the external, you look really good. Oh man, that guy's so holy. He gave everything that he has to God. The thing is, the pledge, this pledge is deferred. It means that as long as I'm alive, I can still use my things for how I want for my purposes. It just means that when I die, it's like I've left it in my will to God, really, which means to the temple, which are the religious institution. And so Jesus is saying, look, your traditions have become a stumbling block keeping people from obeying the commands of God. Your external appearance looks really good, but your hearts could not be further from what God wants from you. He is distinguishing between the external appearance and the inward condition. And so Jesus turns the table on the Pharisees. He says, I'm not the phony. I am not. You are the hypocrites. Now remember, he's doing this to the Pharisees right in front of these crowds. And you can imagine, they're all like wide-eyed. They've never seen anybody talk to the religious leaders, especially the religious leaders from Jerusalem like this. So now that Jesus has kind of dealt with them, he turns to give a response to the crowd. And he's gonna say, he's gonna say the same thing twice, once to the crowds and then once to his disciples because they ask for some clarification. So look in verse 14, he's dealt with the Pharisees. It says, and Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen, listen to me everyone and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can make them unclean by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. Now, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. They didn't understand what he was saying. And he says, are you so dull? Now, Jesus is not insulting them here. The original language, what it really, all he's saying is, do you still not understand? He's saying, do you also not understand? And he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can make them unclean, can, can defile them before God. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And this is Jesus' first response. And what he's saying is, listen guys, you need to understand this following traditions, following rituals, doesn't do anything before you in God's sight. And we love this, because Jesus is saying, hey, there's freedom. <laughs> There's freedom in your traditions. And we love this message. 
What he's saying is, listen, your performance for God, God does not want your performance for him. What he wants is your heart. And this, we go, yes, Jesus, yes. I'm so glad that he wants my heart and not my performance. And this is good news, and we love this. And all week, all week as I've been reading this, I've been wishing that Jesus stopped right there, that that was all he said, that he said, hey, guys, God's not concerned with your performance. He wants your heart. All right, great, Jesus. That's a great sermon. I can preach that. The problem is Jesus doesn't stop right there. Verse 20 starts with, he went on. And what he says next is so important because Jesus is going to shift from dealing with specific external rituals or traditions that only dealt with a specific context and a specific group of people. And he's going to address an internal condition that affects all of humanity. It affects all of us in this room. It affects everyone. And it's like he's saying, listen, I know, he's looking at the disciples and the crowd and saying, listen, I know that you're concerned with what makes you unclean before God. That's true, that's obviously evident because you're trying to follow these traditions. You care about where you stand before God. But what I wanna tell you is the traditions aren't gonna do anything because God wants your heart but you need to know something about your heart. And then he goes on to give what sounds like nothing short of an indictment against the very heart of humanity. Listen in verse 20. He, Jesus went on, what comes out of a person is what makes them unclean or defiled. For, for from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, which just means wickedness or, or evil, deceit or lying or cheating. He says lewdness. Lewdness is basically just unrestrained sexual impulse. Envy, jealousy, slander, which is gossip and cutting others down with your words behind their back arrogance or pride and foolishness. Jesus says, all of these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. This is heavy. Jesus says, you're concerned with what, with, with what separates you from God. Well, it's not a failure to follow traditions. It's your heart. What makes you unclean is the state of your heart, our hearts. He says, all of the things that are detestable from God flow from the heart of humanity. My heart, your heart, our hearts. Now, this, is, this is wildly unpopular in our culture. I know that. I mean, I felt it all week as I wrestled through this. Like, I don't, I don't like it. This is, this is what the Bible would call, this is what we would call the doctrine of sin. The sin comes from our hearts. But the narrative that we hear more often in our culture that we like more says this. You know, it's like, well, really, I try to believe that in general people are good. I want to believe in the best in people. I want to believe that people are good. And we can say that to a certain point, but really we'd have to stick our head in the sand to realize that not every person is good, Right? And so then we start to say, okay, well, there's bad people out there. I'll acknowledge that. You know, I, turn on your evening news, look at your Twitter feed, read the news. It's like, okay, there's bad people. 
I can look across the world and I can see there's this group called ISIS. And yeah, those are bad people. I mean, they behead other humans because they don't believe in what they believe. That's badness, but that's, that's not me. That's not in my heart. That's not who I am. And it gets a little closer to home and, and we start seeing violence and hate and rioting because of racism in our own country. And we see it in, in places like Ferguson and in Baltimore. And, and we go, yeah, but you know, that's, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not racist. I don't hate people. That's not, I'm, I'm good. Like, it's not, that's not me. And our temptation is to ascribe this evil to some sort of outside influence. We say, well, you know, those guys are bad. They're bad because, because of power. Power corrupts. You know, people get power and they're corrupted by the power that they have and that's when we see atrocities. Or we say, no, it's money. Money corrupts people. When people get rich, they get corrupted and that's why those people are bad, because they have money. Or we hear this all the time, it's religion. Religion is what corrupts people. It's these outside things that corrupts people and Jesus says, no, listen to me. I want you to hear this. The corruption comes from within the heart of humanity. The corruption comes from our hearts. All week I've been squirming as I read this. And if you're squirming in your seat right now, I understand, I get it. Like, I don't like it either. But Jesus is saying, the evil that we see in the world comes, it flows from the heart of humanity. And if we want to come to the Bible, we cannot come to it honestly without seeing this. I mean, all throughout the Bible, it starts all the way in Genesis. In Genesis 8, chapter 21, God says this. God says, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. In Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, Jeremiah writes that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is beyond a cure. In James, chapter 1, in the New Testament, this is Jesus' brother he says, you know, when we're tempted, we want to ascribe it to some outside force. We want to blame it on the devil. We want to blame it on something else. But he says, listen, when you're tempted, it comes from being dragged into enticement by your own evil desires. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, Paul writes emphatically, he says, there is no one that is righteous before God. There is no one that is clean there is no one that is undefiled when standing before God. See, in the presence of a good and perfect God, none of us are worthy. None of us are righteous. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know, it's like, listen, we can always find somebody worse to compare ourselves to. We can always point at ISIS. We can always point at those people who are rioting. We can always point at that guy that I work with that's worse than I am. We can always find somebody who's worse than us to compare ourselves to. But Jesus says, you're not to compare yourself with other people. You were made in the image of God. You were made to be image bearers of the almighty and perfect God. And in the presence of the almighty and perfect God, your heart is broken, defiled, unclean. And this week as I worked through this, I just, God brought me face to face with my own heart. I started looking through this list of things and this is, as we were worshiping, this is what God was bringing to my, to my heart and reminding me of, you know, it's like, the truth is I can follow the outside rules pretty well. 
I can follow the traditions. I've been a good churchgoer my whole life. And I can look pretty good on the outside, but I know, I know where I wrestle in my heart. I'm keenly aware of my tendency to be selfish and prideful and to think more highly of myself than I do of others. And Jesus mentions arrogance and pride. I'm keenly aware of my desire to talk bad about other people in order to make myself feel better. And Jesus talks about slander and gossip. I'm keenly aware of my tendency to have sexual desires and sexual thoughts that are outside of God's intention for my sexuality. And Jesus mentions sexual immorality and lewdness. I'm keenly aware of a tendency in my own heart to look at what others have that I don't and to either judge them for it or be jealous that I don't have it. And Jesus talks about envy and jealousy. And this week I was going, God have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And I have broken things in my heart. And Jesus says, out of human hearts come evil thoughts. And we all have this thing where we go, Jesus, why didn't you just stop with the bit about freedom from traditions? Why didn't you just stop there and tell us we were free from external performance? But Jesus says, listen, the reason the, reason the external appearance doesn't matter, the reason the traditions and the rituals don't matter is because the issue is an inward condition of your heart and your behavior can do nothing to change the condition of your heart. He says, what you need is a new heart. You need something new. You need a new heart. He said all of this. Jesus was able to say all of this about external traditions because he knew where the story was going, right? Jesus knew that his story would take him to a cross where he would die. And his perfect, holy, and blameless heart would take the weight the sin, the brokenness, the clean would become unclean. The undefiled would become defiled before God. And Jesus would take all of that on himself for every heart in humanity. And he would suffer for us and die. And he also knew that after that death, God would work in his mighty power to raise him from the dead to conquer death and come to his followers and give them a message that would not only shift the history of the world, but it would shift the very nature of humanity. All week I've been leaning on this one promise as I've wrestled with this idea of the wickedness of the human heart. This promise is found in Ezekiel chapter 36. If you want to turn there, it's page 601 in our Bibles. Ezekiel chapter 36, read with me starting in verse 25. This is God speaking. This is his promise to humanity. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. See the, see the contrast between God doing it and the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders doing it themselves. A ritual. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you from the inside to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all of your uncleanness. No longer is it gonna be me working on the outside to try to make the inside good enough. Instead, God says, I'm gonna put who I am inside of you. I am going to clean you. You're not reliant on your performance because I'm gonna change the very inside of who you are. That is the promise of God to us in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news. You know, but in order, in order for the good news to be good, we have to know that there's bad news. If we don't know there's bad news, then the good news doesn't sound good at all. So Jesus says, your heart, your heart naturally is imperfect in the face of a perfect and holy God. But the perfect and holy God loved you enough to come and walk amongst you, take your imperfections and trade his heart for yours and give you a perfect heart. And now we're all gonna respond to this message in, in one of a few ways. The message is your heart is imperfect and you need help. And we're all gonna respond to it in one of a few ways. One, one option is that we just ignore it. We ignore what Jesus is saying about the state of humanity. And we continue to believe that there's nothing wrong with our own hearts. We continue to believe that evil is just something out there and that humanity is basically good and that we can handle it on our own. In the addiction and recovery world, they call this denial. And the ironic thing is that denial is fueled by pride, a belief that I can make myself good enough, I don't need help. And Jesus, he, he lists that, doesn't he? He lists pride. It's just one of the natural outflowings of the human heart. And so if you're in that camp this morning, if you're sitting here and you're listening to me going, there's another guy at church telling me that I'm bad, Jesus says, that, that's your natural response. It's okay, I mean, that's just your natural response. That's, that's pride. Another option for response is that we know it. We have this innate awareness of our imperfection before God, but we insist that we can take care of it ourselves. We can lean on our own willingness to deal with our brokenness. This is what we see with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They know that sin is a problem, but they believe their traditions can make it right. And some of us have been living this way our entire lives. We've known that there is a brokenness, there's something wrong, an uncleanness in our heart before God, and yet we've tried to lean on our own traditions. Now, our traditions don't look like theirs. Our traditions are simply coming to church every week, taking communion. These are all good things, but they're traditions. And many of us have tried to lean on our own traditions. Maybe it's our good deeds, the things that we do to try to make our hearts right. And Jesus says, no, none of these things are gonna change it. You need me to give you a new heart. The third response, so there's the ignore it, there's nothing wrong with me. There's the, I know there's something wrong with me, but I think I can handle it on my own. The third one is, I know, I know Jesus, you're right. There's something wrong with my heart and I can't handle it. I can't do it on my own. And to this crowd, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This week, uh, God really gave me a great illustration about this group of people. Um, this is gonna sound random. Uh, Amy and I recently got chickens, 
Uh, back in February, we got we have nine chickens now, and had to, I had to build a chicken coop for them and learn how to feed them, how to take care of them, and it's been really fun. Our boys love holding these chickens. It's been a fun experience. But one of our chickens is different than the rest of them. See, one of our chickens hasn't developed properly, and a chicken's beak comes to a point at the end, but one of our chickens, her name is Penelope. She's really sweet. We call her Penny. Uh, but her, she has this condition called scissor beak, where her beak literally looks like this. The top doesn't line up with the bottom. Now, Penelope, if left to her own devices, she would die. A, pick, a, a chicken relies on that point at the end of its beak to eat, to pick up small bugs and small things that they can eat. Penelope cannot pick those things up because her beak doesn't meet up with itself. I noticed an interesting thing this week. All of our chickens are scared of us. <laughs> We come out there with food and they run. I'm like, I built your house. Like, I've got food for you and you're scared of me. All of them but one. One chicken runs to me every time I come out there with food. You can guess who it is. It's Penelope, sweet little Penny. She knows she's insufficient on her own. She knows that if I did not bring her that food, she would be dead already. And so she runs to the one who gives her what she needs. And this is where Jesus says our hearts need to be before God. God has given you everything you need and he wants to continue to give you everything you need but it starts with a willingness to admit I cannot do it on my own. My heart is sinful and I need the Lord to help me. So this morning we're gonna take communion. It's set up all around the room. When you come to communion this morning, I just want to encourage you, like, if, if you are someone who has given your heart to Jesus, just come to communion and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for my new heart. Thank you for continuing to help me to live into this new heart that you've given me, even though I'm not perfect. Some of you may be sitting here and you're going, I, I know there's this rift in my heart, and I know I need help. Jesus says, come, come to me. We're going to have people standing over here at this respond banner. I'll, I'll go over there and stand. If you've never said, Jesus, I need a new heart, give me a new heart, please. Come, we'll pray with you. You can get baptized. Like you can give your life completely to Jesus and he will give you a new heart and start walking with you. So maybe as you go to communion, the question is, Jesus, how do I respond to you? How can I give my heart to you more fully? And some of us may be aware of some sin in our hearts, some things that we've kept hidden and tried to handle on our own. And Jesus says, just confess it. So over communion this morning, if you know there's things in your heart you've been trying to handle on your own, you can't do it on your own, find a friend, find a family member, confess it, and admit that you need help and ask Jesus to help you. That's the message of Jesus, not your external appearance, but your inward condition that he has done everything to fix. Let's pray, and then uh, Will's gonna come up and lead us in worship as we take communion.